Welcome back to There Will Be Movies. This is a podcast where myself, Matt Waters, and my co-host, Ben Phillips. Ben, how are you? I'm good. That's us. We talk about 25 of our favourite movies from a given decade. This is Volume 2, 2010 to 2019, Episode 27, The Social Network. Big, firm, very early choice from both of us. This was def- There was no way this wasn't making the list. I believe you have called this your favourite film of the decade. I have called this my favourite film of the decade, and I believe you've called yourself the biggest Jesse Eisenberg fan of the world. <laughs> I mean, probably. I don't know if I'm willing to stay on that hill, but much less die on it. But yeah, I, I'm a huge Jesse Eisenberg fan. At one point, I was like literally seeking out everything he was in. And that probably came after this. But yeah. But in terms of my fandom of this film, I didn't bother digging it out or anything to live read because when I read my dissertation, that didn't go well. But <laughs> also, I promise, I knew my dissertation was bad when I was writing it and I was younger than I would have been when I did this. But I was working at a arts picture house. For Americans, it's like a smaller cinema that shows fancier shit. When this came out, and myself and two of my colleagues adored it, and there was a com- there's a competition every year. You remake a film in 60 seconds. Like, you do it as shoddily as possible with your own props and whatever, and you basically do a 60-second cut of a film that you make yourself. And we were like, let's do this. And we never ended up finishing it, but, like, the act of, like, making a script out of this was really fun because it's got that Sorkin dialogue that actually allows you to just say very quick, abrupt, like, bold things and just keep cutting between. I mean, that's the entire thing that makes this movie, I think, so special, is that it's two people who are obviously at the very top of their field. Love him or hate him, Aaron Sorkin is one of the best dialogue writers in Hollywood. Whether or not you think that every single project he touches is gold is a different question, but, yeah. like, he is one of the best yeah. at what he does. Yeah, and like, he's working he... with Fincher at the top of his game. So, so directed by Fincher, who... You know, as we we always do in this, we will call out anything else they did this decade and give a shout out to anything that might have made the list, if not for our rule of one film per director. So, Girl with Dragon Tattoo. I have not seen the American one. I have seen the Swedish one, which I quite like. I know you say Girl with Dragon Tattoo is very good. Gone Girl, I would have, I 100% put on the list. But if I have to choose between them, it's obviously going to be this. So, sorry, Ben Affleck, accidentally perfectly cast. And then he was obviously very busy the rest of that decade with House of Cards and Mindhunter and stuff like that. But. Yeah, and then he's got Mank coming this year, which I'm very excited to see. Yeah, he does, he does. And as you said, written by Aaron Sorkin. His first film in a while, Charlie Wilson's War, probably, I think, the first thing before that. But obviously, you know, back in the day, A Few Good Men, and he's West Wing, Newsroom, all these fucking TV shows. Sports Night. Sports oh, no, Night, yeah. the one no one's seen. The one I want to see. Yes, I am a big Sorkin stan. I deeply acknowledge how difficult it is to to be a fan of that man, given some of his very flagrant views about women in particular. He's got the raw talent, and yeah. this script is kind of showing all of the positive sides to it without any of the negative. And yeah, uh, a bit, yeah. I mean, I think because they put all the emphasis on the men that hate the women are bad, therefore... <laughs> It's sort yes. of taking the side of Erica and all the other women. And it's, of course, based on the, the book Accidental Billionaires by uh, Ben Meserich. So, yeah, not just completely from the brain of Aaron Sorkin. But I'll talk about that in a second. But this was released in the US October 1st, 2010. Two weeks later, October 15th, 2010 in the UK. So, Benjamin, for the first time this volume, why don't you talk to us a little bit about 2010? Let's talk about some good movies that came out in 2010. Okay. So, 
I don't like that because it makes it sound like this isn't a good movie that came out in twenty. Oh no, this is this is number two on this little list that I'm looking at right now. <laughs> okay. But yeah, like I mean, the the most acclaimed movie of the year was Uncle Boon Me, who can recall his past lives, which is a movie I've never seen. It's from Thailand. I'm very intrigued by it because, it, but it seems like it's one of those art house movies that like all the art cinema people will like kind of like elevate more than it probably deserves. But some other great movies that came out this year, you've got obviously Social Network, Certified Copy, Toy Story Three, Winter's Bone, Inception, Black Swan, Meek cut off exit through the gift shop 2010 is a really fucking good year for it, movies it really is and yeah again i remember seeing posters for if not all of those movies i'm at my place of work at the time and yeah just thinking wow movies got real good it's, it's <laughs> the weird thing with it this is the first year so i'm at university tail end of 2010 we spent most of the summer with my friends kind of like bumming around going to the cinema every single week so i saw more movies than i'd ever seen in any given year in 2010 and i made this is the first year ever i made the concerted effort to go see all 10 nominees for the Oscars, which also led to a lot of disappointment where I was like, well, I like five of the movies that are nominated better than the presumptive winner, which isn't to say that I don't like The King's Speech. I think it's a perfectly fine movie. But then 10 years later, and I'm still willing to say that Social Network is the, the best movie I saw oh. that entire decade. Oh, of course. It's just, you know, King's Speech is a spoon-fed, very Oscar voter kind of movie. You know? That's the thing. Is like It appeals <laughs> to the older demographic of voters who are going to go, rather than the movie about the founder of Facebook, a website that most of them probably weren't on at that point. It's crazy. Looking at the highest grossing movies of 2010, a couple of the other nominees are high up with Black Swan at 16, King's Speech at number 12. Social Network's number 32 for the year, so mm. obviously people like ballet dancing, Daphne Portman, and The King with a Lisp more than this one. But we need to talk about the state of cinema in 2010. So we have How to Train Dragon at number 10, which is probably the best DreamWorks movie. Uh, yeah, put me on the spot there. It's very good. At number 9, Despicable Me, which is the, the movie that killed animation cinema for the next decade. Yeah. Number eight, Tangled, a very strong return to form for Disney after a couple of years in the wilderness. Princess yeah. and the Frog, just a little bit earlier, but like the first great 3D animated movie that Disney put out. Iron Man 2 at number seven. Don't have to talk about that. We talk about that more than <laughs> enough on this podcast. Too much. Twilight Saga Eclipse, which is one I saw in the cinema, I believe. <laughs> I was drunk. It was an experience. I really don't know which one's which past the first one, but I definitely chaperoned an event where it was played on a screen outdoor, like a silent disco outdoor screening type thing. And it was like, right, you can sit here in the complete darkness just looking around, or you can watch the film. And I couldn't really decide, so I did a bit of both. <laughs> and I was like, this isn't the worst thing I've ever seen in my whole life, but I'm, I'm not enjoying myself. <laughs> I'm intrigued. So silent disco, <laughs> Yes. was it aimed at like... 16, 17 year old girls. They try and I'm do just... a range of the movies. Like a lot of them skew family friendly, but like they did Mamma Mia sing along edition. So working that one was fun because without, if you're not wearing the headphones yourself, you just hear this sort of sweep of drunk 40 year old women singing along to Abba coming <laughs> over the fields kind of thing. <laughs> That sounds yeah. great. Yeah, I'm they just, were kind of fun like, to do. With, with Twilight Saga, I'm just imagining like a bunch of 16, 17 year old girls and you have to walk around with like a spray can and go like, no, two feet apart. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, I didn't Shrek, get to do that, but yeah. Uh, Shrek Forever After at number five, which is a return to form after the abysmal Shrek 3. Inception, good movie. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1, the movie where they wander around in the wilderness for a yeah. movie. Yeah. Alice in Wonderland, which is possibly the worst movie of the year. I don't think. Fuck Tim Burton, but yeah. And the, and the fact it made a billion dollars is gross and then Toy Story 3 the movie that comes out at the perfect moment for 18 year old me going off to university to have an emotional breakdown to 
Strong year for animation, strong year for franchises. I, yeah, I, I think, think we is... started talking about that towards the tail end of Volume 1, that like franchises are here now and stuff like that. But Yeah, you start to see the rise of franchise cinema. You start to see all the other animation houses are figuring their shit out. And because 3D animation is cheaper and 3D animation is becoming more and more popular with Pixar, you're seeing Pixar, Disney, yep. Universal, DreamWorks all start to set up their animation houses yeah. that become but... like the second dominant force of the decade, really. Particularly Disney like announcing their back in a big way kind of thing like we're not just going to sit on the sideline and let Pixar do this for us and occasionally toss something out like they they came big that decade and obviously they'll end up with Frozen which is their biggest is that their biggest movie ever probably? Uh, I think Frozen 2 might have grossed more but oh, wow. it, okay. it was huge though like a massive cultural phenomenon all of that stuff we'll be watching the, sl- the slow Disneyfication of the top 10 of the movies <laughs> as we go through the decade yes so this was made for a budget of 40 million it did a box office total gross of 225 million but what about the weekend it came out how did it do what was it up against uh so weekend it comes out it comes out as we said october 15th in the uk it comes in at number two at the box office at number five is life as we know it which is a movie i do not remember at all that doesn't ring a bell two single adults become caregivers to an orphaned girl with their mutual best friend dies in an accident i will never see it don't take care <laughs> okay number four the sequel to wall street money never sleeps oh uh, yeah <laughs> uh when we're still kind of thinking that shia labeouf can be a a box office draw. No, uh, it turns out what he can be as a critical darling now. I liked only one of his movies was in it last year, but we'll. Is that Honey? Is it called Honey I Boy? Liked, I liked Honey Boy more than Peanut Butter Falcon. I've heard people that like Honey Boy really like Honey Boy. So yeah, uh, Vampire Suck number three, which is a very quick turnaround for the spoof movies on Twilight, but obviously they're made for cheap and are shit. Number two, Social Network making an equivalent three point nine million dollars at the UK box office the weekend mm. it comes out. Uh, Not bad for this little country. I don't know whether or not we're more akin to this kind of thing, but it definitely feels like we do like this kind of movie, but it definitely has like an early peak and then we'll kind of go away yeah, <laughs> very yeah. quickly. Uh, and then number one, the cinematic powerhouse that comes out the week opposite it, we're earning about $6 million equivalent in the UK. Despicable Me. I'm sad, that's despicable. So, this is a 120 minute movie, so just about obeying my rule that all movies should be two hours or less. This was also a mandate from the studio, you cannot go over two hours. I would after, say... After it, making so Zodiac and Curious Case of Benjamin Button back to back. This is what happens. And we had, you can go listen to Volume 1 for our uh, arguments about the length of Zodiac, but I think this moves with an incredible pace and that is because of Sorkin. The studio actually wanted Sorkin to lose a further 30 pages then made the final cut but Fincher fought for him obviously because he's like I don't even want to make it two hours so I'm not gonna let you make it less than that he basically said if if Aaron can read the full script in two hours can we keep them and they were like yeah fine and he did it which is why the dialogue starts like immediately while there are still studio logos playing and it is just frenetically relentlessly fast paced yeah I think like there are two extended moments in the movie where there is not much dialogue it is when the credits are coming up on the screen and you've got Eisenberg walking through the, the quad at Harvard and it's the, the boat scene yeah. are the two extended moments where there is not much dialogue and there's not a lot of plot going on everything else is like I was going to say like the scene where it's like just 
supposing the big party at the Phoenix Club with him coding, but he's narrating that whole scene. He's narrating that the entire time. They're narrating with Garfield when they're out for drinks. There is just dialogue the entire movie, and it is a case of... Before we get into the plot of the movie, because it's going to be dense, because it is really (laughs) a movie that, like, I remember... I think we paused the movie about an hour in, and I was Mm. like, oh, okay, like, we're over halfway through. And I was like, oh, God, no, there's still another hour left. Not because it feels long, but because so much is happening very very quickly but I do think it is in distinct chunks of like you reach the point where like you actually find out why they're suing him kind of thing then there's sort of like the enter Sean Parker aspect and, and as I said before this is Fincher and Sorkin working together to elevate themselves under some insane strict structure that's been given to them by the studio mm-hmm. and both of them are kind of working so hard against these shackles to give the best that they can do and I feel like it's one of those cases where the studio mandate kind of forces these two people who probably shouldn't work together considering they're both perfectionists <laughs> yeah. to like up their game coupled with the fact that like it's based on this book it is so close to the event of this happening mm. that and so prescient for the time that it is in terms of this very particular kind of guy who would go on to dominate a not insignificant chunk of the way we talk about people and culture for the last decade that it becomes two creatives working at the top of their power talking about something that is going to dominate a landscape I I think you're getting the best of both of them here. I think you are getting peak Sorkin writing without much, if any, of the problematic stuff. I think you were getting peak Fincher, like, visual filmmaking and just sort of, just Fincher directing, but without it being, like, my opinion, but, you know, without it being overlong, without it being, like, too lost in minutiae or whatever. Like, I, I, I think that's where they cross over, is they are so incredibly meticulously detail-oriented, both of them. And I think that that's where they fuse, but, yeah, I think you get kind of both strengths without weaknesses here and that's probably why this is such a good goddamn movie yeah it's, um, it's incredible i think a special shout out to jeff Cronenworth, who has been finch's cinematographer ever since fight club i believe this movie looks great it's shot on digital which a lot of people don't think looks good but yeah, I his think... first ever all digital movie i believe yes yeah which i mean it, it, it makes sense it's got a very similar visual palette to fight club i like that there's not a lot of blue and then when the logo starts to crop up later on in the movie the blue really starts to pop when you get to that point it's one of those sort of like dark green type movies yes so yeah that book accidental billionaires was getting shopped around before it had even been finished like there is word that it was like a hastily put together like manuscript pitch while because he wrote the book that got turned into 21 and i think right as that was blowing up this got out there and sorkin said it's the fastest he's ever said yes to anything on page three he was like yep i want to do this and he and meserick did meet up a few times and swap notes and I think Mesrick was like literally writing the book in the same room as Sorkin was writing the script at times. But Sorkin did have 80% of the film written by the time the book came out and he did his own research and met with some of the people involved. Many of them don't want to say they were except for Natalie Portman who is more than happy to be involved and I think you can guess where she is referenced in the script. <laughs> I was We did try to figure it out and because they were in 2004 Harvard I was like oh it's not Natalie Portman because I thought she graduated in 2003, but I guess. I don't know. I guess they're being slightly artistically Or maybe it was like that. I don't, I don't know whether or not you the class year is the year that you join in America, it might be, because we don't really refer to, like, years oh, of Class of 04. Okay. We have, like, yeah. leavers 04 kind of thing. But, yeah, we go yeah. for the opposite, so I was a bit like... I, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. 
but she is definitely the film star being referenced. Sorkin said he was most intrigued by the fact that you have two lawsuits and three ver- three different narratives for what happened, and that's where he decided to put all of the narrative tension, rather than being interested in, like, what is the definitive truth. Because, like, you kind of are made to not like several of the people in this movie, but I think, regardless of that, it is a fascinating thing to see, and how you, you can see the argument of all three parties, I guess. Cast filled out very quickly, Fincher said nobody is allowed to meet their real-life counterpart, Justin Timberlake said, I'm a musician, fuck you, and went and met Sean Parker, who was... See, that's the thing is, I I was reading something on the internet that was basically people talking about movies that they know, where people are playing real people, where the performance is so spot on, and the first person was like, I know Sean Parker, Justin Timberlake completely fucking nailed it. It is Sean Parker. Mm. I am seeing Sean Parker on the screen. I've heard Zuckerberg is as close as you can imagine to being the real guy. Even if, like, the events happening are, like, sexed up a bit compared to his life and stuff like that. But Parker did actually say, like, if you're looking to make your performance in this film better, there's no point getting to know me because I'm nothing like what he's written. But then, like, if people are saying that afterwards, like... And I guess it's just, you know feeling he's right. Harvard continued their stance of refusing to allow filming on campus, which has lasted since 1970 when a film damaged some of campus property, so this is all filmed in the Boston and New England area, but none of it in Harvard itself. And my favourite fact, Jesse Eisenberg, while making Zombieland, there's a line about, the best thing is you don't have to worry about updating your Facebook status, and he didn't know what that meant, and the cast and crew had to explain it to him, and then he goes on to play Mark Zuckerberg, so there you go. (laughs) The trailer for this movie Mm. is one incredible the first minute of it is obviously like just a compilation of lots of different photos and lots of different status updates with the choral version of Radiohead's Creep we can discuss whether or not the slowed down cover of pop songs is just the destruction of the trailer <laughs> of the last decade but when like, it works it works <laughs> when it works it works and it, the trailer is probably one of the best trailers of the decade I remember there was a piece a couple of years ago about the trailer house that did the social network trailer and how they basically done like every trailer you remember was probably made by this trailer house for a couple of years in the middle there yeah. but the social Network trailer is a work of art unto itself and makes me sad that we don't get many movies like this anymore that get that kind of special trailer treatment and I know it's a big thing for Fincher to have a fantastic trailer because the first trailer for Girl Drunk Out 2 is also fantastic because it's the one with the, the feel bad movie of Christmas with the, <laughs> the, the, the Karen O cover of Immigrant Song over the background which is just ah, nice. fucking incredible but yeah he does good trailers yeah. I've sadly watched it before talking about it to be honest but I just wanted to shout out like there's not many times that a trailer is that good So, in what Ben flippantly called the best scene of the decade and then walked it back of like, alright, maybe one of the best. Mark Zuckerberg is brutally broken up with by his girlfriend Erica Albright is your summary of that first scene. It's such a star-making performance from Rooney Mara. The fact that she's, she's how far down in the credits in this? It's like she's in the first split credit block or the second split credit block. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just a performance that really sticks in your mind. The entire movie, and obviously the entire point in the movie is by the end he's sent to a friend request and is very sadly waiting for her to accept him but to be in this movie for five minutes and basically completely own it so thoroughly so quickly Hmm. is a huge mark of talent yeah they're obviously taking a stance here that like i think zuckerberg has denied that basically he did all of this as a big giant revenge stunt kind of thing that like such a huge part of it it's not entirely why because they're having this big fucking conversation about final clubs and you know he wants to get into one of those by starting something and he, he you know the narrative from his camp is like he just liked inventing things 
and this is what he came up with. But they have taken this stance for, they could potentially be right, he could be right, I don't know. But in terms of making this an interesting story, they have put, the big hook is he wants to impress her, he's expecting her to be blown away in the same way everyone else is, and the movie ends up in a point where he is sadly alone by himself with billions of dollars, but like sitting there hitting refresh on her page waiting for the acceptance and everything. Yeah, I know it's skipping all the way to the very end, but that last fucking text text grab of the movie, of Mm -hmm. him sat there looking so depressed yep. and it comes up on the screen saying he's like the youngest, the youngest billionaire, billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like jesus yeah. christ but the reason i'm like jumping throughout the plot and taking that big picture thing is that only works because rooney mara has fucking crushed it in this opening scene and left such a massive impact and a shadow over the movie imagine walking in when you're just at the montage of him running up the steps and everything or running around the campus and you miss that first scene like what is this movie even like at that point like, yeah you can still understand it like you still oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. they still bring her up often enough and she does and have she does that appear one... twice yeah but you just get oh she's a bitch and it probably <laughs> makes it seem i don't want to say justified but without the actual conversation that they have where you sit there and like you're only just keeping up with what he's talking about and you're just as confused as she is and he is treating her like absolute dirt and she's only got so much patience before she's just like oh my god fuck this i cannot have every conversation i ever have be this labyrinth of trying to figure out what he's talking about because he's jumping around between seven different conversation points and not able to why i think those are the two big things here is you know she says sometimes you say two things at once and i'm not sure which one i should be aiming at And I think the two things are Eisenberg's performance throughout this movie, he said the hardest thing about it, because he is a diagnosed, he's been diagnosed with OCD, is trying to not suppress behaviours that he has spent his whole life trying to not follow. So he is having to be OCD, and it's like, oh, you are OCD, that must be easy. It's like, no, I've spent my life trying to unlearn these bad things, and now you want me to do them. And he is so good at it. And it is so Sorkin as well, like, people having these, like, nine-level conversations where, like, there's a the punchline is from level one, but you've drilled down into all this, like, hyper-nuance. And then, yeah, like, what an unmitigated asshole this guy is. But he is just sitting there like you should support me more because I would take you to these events and you would meet people you wouldn't get to meet and is this real yes then I apologize you know that <laughs> kind of stuff and the, and the big stinger of like you don't need to study why because you go to BU and like BU is one of the top colleges in the country but he goes to fucking Harvard so he thinks you know like every other college sucks or whatever it does raise the question why anyone would want to be around this guy at all like even in his like lightest brightest moments in the movie of not being a dickhead he's still not that nice and it does raise the question why did you want to go out with him in the first place but you are 100% on her side and the big final speech from her you know you're going to go through life thinking girls don't like you because you're a nerd and I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that won't be true it'll be because you're an asshole and it's like finish him kind of how, how many lines from this movie have you written down many but I <laughs> promise I won't read them all verbatim Jerome Kusan is doing his 100 favourite movies uh, on the site and uh, I really don't know when this will be out in relation to that because I'm working so far on the future on both but he chose that as the quote for this movie and not a bad choice but yeah this this opener it took 99 takes because you know Sorkin well that, that's the whole <laughs> thing and, and I think we should talk about it now but Sorkin is the king of the multiple takes and his entire thesis behind it is 
I'm going to make you do so many takes that eventually I just break you yeah. and you start reacting on instinct rather than so you like that this a lot becomes of that... muscle memory that this becomes just like a thing you are naturally doing because you've had to do it so many times so you're not yeah. acting anymore basically like he he basically wants to break the affectation out of you yeah. so if you come into a scene you've probably rehearsed it you've probably got some idea of how you want to do it and Sorkin's like no 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 I don't want that I don't want overly rehearsed affected acting I want naturalistic and it works. It Imagine if it... they crush it on the first take. He's like, I don't care how good your first take is. We're not using it. <laughs> I think there might be a story of someone doing it like really quickly, and they're, like Sorkin's like, yeah, they're the first. Or not Sorkin. And Fitch is like, they're the first actor I've ever like not had to do that many takes with. But wow. I can't remember if I'm making it up in my head. It's what makes Fincher so hard to work with, and it's why he's made so few movies the last kind of five years, is because people don't want to give all this money for him to do this kind of insane, meticulous. Yeah. Directing and how like, many people took... work with him twice as well? Like, <laughs> yeah, it it took Netflix giving him a TV show, but I know his meticulous behind the scenes stuff is what caused Mindhunter season two to be as delayed as it was. I wonder how much of them giving him mank is to see if they he won't direct any of Mindhunter season three. But <laughs> here's a shiny toy. Go play with that. Leave but... the nice crime show that people like to us. <laughs> but yeah, this is a beast of an opening scene. One of the best opening scenes in film history, in my opinion. Just, you get everything you need to know about Mark, uh, his philosophy, his motivations for the rest of the movie. I think that's so important in movies, is to upfront establish who this person you're going to follow around is, and why they're going to do all these things they're going to do that seemingly are quite horrible at times and everything. And, like, to establish that immediately. And that feels very much like a play, and I think Sorkin's background as a playwright before he, you know, gets into to film and TV and everything, I think that shines through here. And like, say what you want about like the things he is preaching at people, he is very good at like structuring that kind of journey. And obviously, Fincher loves his structure as well. So yeah, again, we're getting the best of both here. And speaking of the best of and Fincher, Trent Reznor's score in this movie is unreal. The piano piece that plays as he's running back to his dorm. Yeah, it's great, but, yeah. but do we have to talk about the next bit of the score, though, which mm. is, yeah. obviously, like Zuckerberg gets back to his his apartment or yes. dorm room or whatever and starts drinking and blogging and then decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to steal photos of every single person on campus that I can and grade all the girls against yeah. each other in make, make a who's hotter comparison site called Face Mash. The music that's playing here is like what comes into my head if you say social network. It's this sort of I'm not even gonna try it, but yeah, like the the music there is unreal at, in this like montage of because it, it comes in with the girls going to the Phoenix uh, the Club, yeah. the Phoenix Club, being and picked up in gonna... a bus exactly like during Mark and Erica's little discussion. She's like, "Is it true that they like pick up buses of girls to go to their parties?" And I don't know if he confirms or denies, but yeah, we see that literally happening, and like that he made such a big deal about what these things are and how the other half live and everything. It's, it's that kind of thing. It's like while he is in his dorm room doing this getting drunk and blogging and being a bitter little boy they are doing this like otherworldly elite rich frat boy bullshit and like there's women and cocaine and, and all sorts of stuff and on the one hand it's like look at how sad he is look at what they're doing 
but then it takes on this other like in the middle of it it sort of transitions where it's like while they're having this like this is the biggest thing on campus type party he is making the biggest thing in the city potentially <laughs> and I, I really love that juxtaposition where it starts out as like he's just you know he starts out with this bit of little pot shots about like her bra size and her family changing their name and how oh she's a bitch and all of this it builds and builds and builds and it's like him narrating how he cracked the security of all the different houses and like you know we don't understand meant much of what he's saying but like you know this you get the sense this is an uber genius and that like he knows what he's doing and Sorkin loves to write him an uber genius I think it does that thing that I also think Mr. Robot does which mm. is it uses all the correct technical language for that movie but it also visualizes it in a way that you yep. understand what's happening oh he's writing code but I can also see the pictures in a folder being like yes. dragged around and stuff like that it does it lets you know what's going on in this like really clean yeah. and efficient way yeah. again it is the visual of the filmmaker working so well with the script of Sorkin and like his friends gathering around him as he's doing it as well and it's like building and building uh, the, he throws the dart that's in his mouth into I think it's Dustin's cup and it's like is this another one of the 40 takers from Fincher to get that perfectly in probably the thing that I remember really shocking me in this portion was that he didn't invent the term Facebook that there was a Facebook for each of these houses at Harvard and probably at many colleges across America what they called a Facebook which is just intended for internal use kind of thing or for like the people within the faculty or whatever just so they can put names to faces quickly and stuff like that and uh, they are and most of them were publicly available but like yeah and he points out one of them doesn't have a public Facebook nothing I can do about that and all that but yeah I was just like oh right okay so he basically was really because obviously it's it's foundation as we'll see here is based around university and it's become this giant fucking thing that like children have and 80 year old people have but obviously it's it's foundation is there I mean, and if, for him if, to if use most... the terminology it's like oh shit okay <laughs> yeah the most interesting thing is i feel like everyone who was that first generation worth of facebook users i didn't get a facebook account until 2009 so i was comparatively a little late compared to some of the other people i know <laughs> but you needed a certain email address i don't think it was that but i just didn't get it until 2009 but for oh, whatever okay. reason no, uh, i thought that was the point you were going to make is that early oh no no I'm, I'm talking more about how this entire first generation of facebook users have kind of left the platform <laughs> It has gone from being this thing where the people in this movie who would be kind of like mid-30s at this point to turning 40 are probably not that much on the platform anymore compared to old generations and younger people. Or not not even younger people, but like the old generations. they left as well. For a while it was huge with younger people. I feel it's now its primary demographic is the people who use it for news, (laughs) for misinformed opinions and stuff. Which I feel like is, I want a sequel to this. Yeah, I mean, there has been all that talk. And like, as it gets a more and more controversial thing it becomes more and more of a I could see it (laughs) when I signed up to it I needed my college email address to be able to sign in and everything and at the risk of coming off elitist I think opening up to everyone is what killed it in a lot of ways and not in a like they shouldn't be allowed here but like as soon as you see your parents start using it it's like I don't want to be here anymore (laughs) so I think think most of us basically keep it for messenger but never use the actual site (laughs) unless you have business stakes to do so so, like, I've promoted stuff on there for this website and everything, but, like, I don't yeah. personally use the wall and any of that shit. No, I mean, I post stuff occasionally, but it's one of those things I'm looking at now and go, like, in a month's time, I don't know how terrible things are going to be, but, like, I've been logging on often just seeing awful stuff on Facebook from people who I know but aren't in contact with, and I'm just like, I don't want to engage with this. <laughs> 
I prefer my little curated bubble that I'm in on like Twitter and Instagram where I don't have to see your bullshit, but yeah. Facebook is the great unifier where everyone has it. Yes. And so Well, that's why I keep it for Messenger because so many people I know, I only know them from Facebook. So it's like, if yeah, I exactly. delete this all together, I will not talk to these people again, probably for the rest of my life. And that kind of sucks because yeah. I have moral objections to the platform and Mark Zuckerberg at this stage in life. But like, I admit I need his thing. So it's like, yeah, great. it sucks. And we're, and we're watching this product be made by a man drunk in his college dorm room yeah. at like four o'clock in the morning i think this is the thing that i'm always a bit like i know it's based on the true story but the thing that all, that feels so weird about it is the idea that there are twenty-two thousand people on campus awake at 4 a.m yeah i don't know how your u.s experience was and obviously there were times that you would stay up until six o'clock in the morning and whatnot but very rarely would that be a tuesday night <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what day of the week it's even meant to be, but I don't know, maybe they're going for the, oh, a lot of them are up all night studying, and some of them are partying, or whatever, I don't know. Yeah, it's just, it's just you cut to Erica in her dorm room as well, reading a book, and I'm like, it's four o'clock in the morning, like, yeah. you are not doing anything this relaxed at that point in time. And even this scene where she has no dialogue, they cut to the dude, like, holding a bra, that, you know, making fun of her boobs, and then cutting back to her with the tears in her eyes, like, even that is so powerful that she doesn't even need a line and she's still killing it. Eduardo enters at this point. So Andrew Garfield read for Zuckerberg. Fincher thought, you're too good at being emotional and nice, so I want you to read for Eduardo. And Garfield actually stated that reading for it immediately after Zuckerberg helped because it's like Eduardo is trying to understand and relate to Zuckerberg and he's just attempted to read his lines. So, yeah. He comes in here and, like, you know, he provides the algorithm, as it were. So, you know, and, like, them writing it on the on the window and everything is such a like these are the douchey like geniuses of the world who are going to this like potentially top school in the world and then like this is the shit they're doing and like this is a thing they're proud of and that it's final club bait as well you know that he's looking for something huge and he literally breaks the internet before that's a phrase because the guy gets the phone call that the harvard network is about to crash and it's like you know this would be big for halftime at the super bowl they do this gross thing. The montage of all the guys using it and, like, having a good time, it's like, you know, we've all engaged in stuff in our teenage years that, like, we're maybe not so proud of that we, like, you know, as a group of friends, we're like, oh, yeah, let's all look at this together. And it's like, you know, it, it rings so true. But, like, it is such a dickish thing to do and a massive breach of like personal information and everything like that but yeah that he's sitting there proud of himself and it's like yep i think we did it an incredible one-two punch of first two scenes for the movie i'm gonna slightly shift some stuff that happens next just for ease of conversation so i'm just gonna say the winklevoss twins and divya narenda now they learn of what zuckerberg did and they recruit him to help them make their website harvard connection which is as mark describes it later match.com for harvard students. <laughs> they give him that idea of the harvard.edu needing to be how you get on it is the exclusivity and everything but Army Hammer is playing the Winklevoss twins Josh Pence is his body double. He does make a physical cameo later on. But yeah, they did 10 months of twin boot camp to learn each other's behaviours. Get a little bit of split screen. You get a little bit of face replacement stuff. Pence actually rode against the Winklevoss twins in real life. So there you go. But yeah, this is a, a crazy good performance here. And he'll get Lone Ranger at some point, which probably set his career back, not forward. But he is a guy that's always seemed like you're going to go a long way. You're a big, giant, pretty guy who can act. So, and um, maybe we'll be talking about another movie he's in at some point. <laughs> we know what the big comeback movie was. So, um, Cut, comeback. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. 
Aziz Ansari auditioned for Divya, and while he admits his audition was horrible and also fuck him because he's a sex pest, he was not happy they cast a non-Indian to play Divya. We also see, like, Mark being, like, on trial for, like, making face mash, and him not grasping it might be offensive what he did, and wanting the thanks for exposing the security flaws and all of that. His not apology is how every single non-apology is structured, Mm -hmm. and I had to apologise to everyone who might have been offended, which they were. (laughs) It's like... Yeah, which I'm I'm told they were. You can't even acknowledge... You can't even grasp what you did. It is a template for that kind of shitty apology that comes out, which is, like, I apologise if you're offended. I wouldn't apologise if you weren't offended. Yeah, it's like the beginning where he says is this real? Yes, then I apologise. <laughs> it's like, okay, so if it weren't real, you're not sorry. Like, okay. And it's got that Sorkinist line where he says, then I'm sorry. And then the woman says, I'm sorry. And he goes, that's right. <laughs> it's just sort of like, you know, this sort of broken... No, it's, it's, it's the, it's the um, I think I deserve a little respect from this from this board. Or, or, or I deserve thanks, and she says yes. thanks, and he says yes. Something, yeah, but that kind of like broken half conversation where someone's being deliberately obtuse. Again, like and they nail it every so often where they manage to exactly get what that, he's having two strands of a conversation going on, mm-hmm. and people being confused. And, and... Uh, they'll really hammer it home in a second. I'm going to talk about all the deposition stuff in, in, in one chunk in a second, but I thought it was better than going back and forth but mm-hmm. he gets the note in in his lecture you know you dick which replaces a much ruder note that they had to cut to get a uh, lower age rating <laughs> I assume it's the word beginning with C I would assume said. yes and then the like classic thing of he storms out and the lecturer is like oh t- smarter people than you have given up and then he gives the right answer as he leaves because he is the uberman he is lured in by the Winklevoss twins because they row crew which he got fixated on Erica liking in the first scene and he's like oh I assume you've met people and she's like no like I like them in the way that girls like cowboys like what are you doing and like that he is like sure I'll I'll come meet with you guys you row crew and he's only allowed in the first room and he takes their pitch and this is the core argument that they have is he hears their pitch and the exclusivity aspect and then he immediately goes home and builds his own thing with less of an emphasis on dating but he takes that nugget of the idea and they thus claim and sue him over the fact that he stole their idea because we see these depositions brought against him by Eduardo and the twins separately and we get asked how Zuckerberg came up with Facebook or how Zuckerberg pitched Facebook to Eduardo uh, and put off working on their website and this sliding timeline is really great I think but I remember trying to show this to like my mother and her being very lost but like anything that isn't just a fully linear narrative kind of goes over her head a little bit but hey Fincher and also Sorkin I think he likes to do this as well but yeah the hyper specific nitpicking in these depositions like he is such a dick in these depositions like not paying any attention then he'll say later on like you have the bare minimum of my attention that I think you deserve that kind of thing but he's like it was called the Facebook at the time and it's like that doesn't change the question you asshole and like seeing him like excitedly go and tell Eduardo his idea at this party offering a 70-30 split if Eduardo gives him a load of money to make it happen he phrases it as it's a final club that we're the president of and 
Eduardo has been courted to join the Phoenix Club, and this becomes a big point of contention is, is later on. He's like, tell me it's not because I got in. And he makes a little comment about diversity just to try and be self-deprecating, and Mark feels the need to twist that knife and be like, it probably was a diversity thing as he's leaving. And that, like, he is very visibly bitter about this, that he got into one. And he's like, we should start one because we're never going to get into one. And he's like, oh, I'm potentially going to get into one. This horrible, horrible thing. And he'll say, like, don't worry if you don't get further than the first round you should be proud of that and just like he will never be happy for him he will never like be jubilant about it and just be happy for his friend's success Garfield is bringing such a great counter energy to Zuckerberg here like he is so sympathetic he is so nice you like just a great performance like I guess he gets Spider-Man out of this yeah he gets Spider-Man out of this he also gets my heart out of this of course, um, of course. 18 year old me was crushing on him hard in this movie how do we feel about the fact that obviously two of the kind of the big actors in the movie are they seem to have cast the Jewish side of it more than they have the actual ethnicity of the people because obviously like you've got Minyella playing Divya Narendra although I don't think was, Narendra's not Jewish is he but like no. uh, Minyella definitely is but then you've got Savarin who is I believe he's Brazilian Jewish he is and so Garfield is obviously not that he is <laughs> a mix of British and Eastern European and Jewish how do we feel like again two of the big actors in the movie are miscast in terms of their race but they are both really good performances I think Andrew Garfield more so than Minella, but it's a problem in all movies and it's a thing that like I don't know if we'll ever solve it quite frankly but I acknowledge it but it doesn't bother me is my thing I think yeah I think it's it's one of those it's one of those sad moments where like the performance is so good that you kind of overlook it and you would be more annoyed if they weren't good and it's not like Garfield doesn't look like Saverin I, I think <laughs> I think Saverin is a very white looking um, Brazilian man yes which which I think is what allows them that kind of leeway yeah I mean other than the name and a throwaway line later on about Brazil, you kind of wouldn't even know. <laughs> like you kind of. I mean, that's the thing is, I, I, don't, I don't think a lot of people do know. But yeah, like he he brings it to him excitedly, and then like Eduardo testifies that in the present that Mark was proud of face mash. He didn't feel any need to fix his image because that's another part of the pitch from the Winklevoss twins. Like this would make you look much better after this bad thing you did. And Eduardo's like he wasn't ashamed of it whatsoever. Yeah, Mark dismisses the idea that he was. He pretends he's working on Harvard Connection, and he keeps fobbing them off in emails and saying, "Oh, I can't." meet now, I can't meet now, I can't meet now. And then finally just goes, actually I don't think this is a thing we should do, and then he launches Facebook. And they have a point, they have an axe to grind, it is justified one. However, I do think he didn't so much steal their thing as... I mean, he phrases that they had an idea, I had a better one. And he says, if you guys were inventors of Facebook, you would have invented Facebook. And he'll make a big thing later on about how, like, nobody in this room could do what I can do and everything like that. And it's like, I think he's guilty of being a dick to them. I don't think he's necessarily guilty of wholesale stealing this website from them and that they should get the credit. I think it's one of those things. I think, like, obviously the courts agreed that they don't deserve credit. They do not get co-founders or no. or anything in the masthead on Facebook. Yeah. But there is obviously a very strong paper trail leading to him leading them on whilst he's developing his own thing in the background. It is this verbal contract idea, and obviously that was enough for them to get some money out of this, even if it wasn't enough to get a founder credit or anything like that involved. Yeah. Yeah. And, I do, and I do think it's one of those, like, fishy legal things. Because I remember reading... The 
Wikipedia article before the movie came out and kind of like, I'm going to actually sit down and learn about all the knotty legal mess behind the scenes of Facebook. And I came out of going like, wow, Eduardo Severin's a complete dick. What the fuck's he on about? Like, why do you think he deserves that much of the company? And a, a similar thing with the Wrinkles is like, well, they just had one conversation together and you're saying that they deserve this money. But then you come out of this movie and you go like, no, I do Within this narrative, I don't think you ever fully sympathize with the Wrinklevoss twins, but you're not like, they're the worst. They deserve and... some compensation because conceivably, if they had found the right programmer, they would have been the first people to market. It's just, they gave it to the That's the thing. In being first is everything. He finishes the initial version of the website. He uses Eduardo's new contacts to distribute it. And the big thing is they spend so long bickering over whether they should take legal action against him. And that gives him his enormous head start. And in many ways... So that's the thing. If they'd beaten him to market, that would have been huge. But also, if they'd sued him day one, maybe this all would have... <laughs> yeah, they, said, they, they send the cease and desist letter and then do basically nothing else legally until yeah. Facebook has launched around the world. Uh, internationally, yeah, yeah. And I think it's that thing where... And probably the, the moral of the story is if they'd got given him some money <laughs> and signed a contract for him to do this, rather than just go, oh, you want to work with someone who's in the finals club and... We're so prestigious. Just, here's a sandwich. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's that kind of thing where it's like, I'm not going to pay someone for work that they're going to do. I'm yeah. just going to say, do you want to do this? Yeah, so if they'd been a little bit less of a dick, maybe this wouldn't have happened either. Well, exactly, but, yeah. if, they, if they weren't working from this such place of privilege, and it was like, oh, you'll get the clout, you'll get the recognition for doing this, rather than just going like, here's $3,000, I've got fucking money at the Yahoo because <laughs> I'm an Olympic rower with a dad who works in wherever the Wigglebosses dad works. They have a contract, they have given him money for services. Like, yeah. this immediately becomes so much easier. But yeah. And I think one of the big kicks you get out of the movie is seeing him add on the features that we like associate with the site and them just coming to him over time like he gets the idea of relationship status from Dustin looking to be wingmanned and he's like yeah this is what drives college are you having sex or aren't you and he'll say like oh I, I'm just calling it the wall later and so and the wall is kind of a in some ways dead feature at this point but what you don't go on other people's walls and leave a random comment <laughs> I just mean the way it works is so different where it used to be like you went on someone else's wall and only they saw it and now absolutely everything ends up on the shared timeline and it's like you might as well just post directly there like well that's why they introduced the chat feature and again it's that whole yeah. thing where like even now 10 years later facebook is entirely different from how it is then that is the and other thing that's the that is the counter side is seeing the physical versions of the site and like how often they change their full template and everyone has a fucking meltdown you get used to it almost immediately and then you have the meltdown the next time when they change it but <laughs> there must be a website that charts all the old designs of facebook which i'm <laughs> going to try and look up now to have okay. some nostalgia kick but it's insane how this first kind of like I, we're not even really half an hour into the movie at this point <laughs> no, i promise it'll get faster <laughs> but yeah that's the thing is like the early portion of this movie is so interconnected with all of these things yeah. leaking up to each other and thematically being important because you've got to touch on saffron and the phoenix club and you have to touch on the vinkle wasses and and, and what their claim is. The Winklevi. <laughs> and it's just insane how much information, how quickly it gives it to you. Yeah. And then the movie kind of settles into this thing. It's like, right, we've done the legwork in this first kind of like 30, 45 minute chunk. And now we're just going to like unfurl all of this. Sean Parker being introduced is kind of the last big piece of the thematic puzzle yes. for the movie. But everything and everything in the second half is just kind of knocking down dominoes, really. Of like, we've set yeah. this up, we set this up, we set this up. Yeah, you can kind of see 
see where the story is going from that. Even though you know, kind of know how it ends up. Like seeing how it started is kind of a kick, I would say. And then like you kind of just can see immediately where it's gonna go. You talk about like introducing Eduardo, and like I think the biggest thing here in this first half is he shows Eduardo the masthead with his name on it, and he says, "This you don't know what this is gonna mean to my father." And he says, "Yes, I do." And that just adds even more of a knife twist later on when he's going to remove him from the masthead is that he knew in that moment what it meant to him so he cannot claim ignorance and be like oh no big deal i just took you off the masthead laying that seed is is huge the winkle eye like saying i'm six five two twenty and there's two of me i don't need a lawyer or whatever it's like yeah that's that's my favorite line in the, in the movie. <laughs> okay i think we have three favorite lines between you me and jerome my one is at the end you see in the deposition like he says you know he was my best friend and then you cut to an empty chair and the guy saying your best friend is suing you for 600 million dollars he's like i'm aware <laughs> and they say how he was the biggest thing on a campus that had 19 Nobel laureates 15 pulitzer prize winners two future olympians and a movie star and the movie star as we said is natalie portman i assume that the Nobel laureates and the pulitzer prize winners were like postgraduates i think it's like people that would go on to become we're saying that that many oh, pulitzer know. prize winners and Nobel prize laureates will get their Nobel prizes from being undergrads or i assume like they must be they must be postgrads or lecturers surely because there is no way that in the time between when this movie is set and 2009 okay Okay, that's fair and that is the thing that can't be overstated here is that this is a crazy crazy institution a who's who of people go there many of which you will not necessarily have heard of but they have accomplished like insane things and like this is like another world in a lot of ways and that he becomes the most famous person to have come out of there probably in this century is insane so the site explodes in popularity he has another encounter with Erica that makes him want to expand it to other Ivy League schools, which catches the attention of Sean Parker. So he and Eduardo start to bicker about advertising. You see the cease and desist letter, and you see these little behaviours, like Eduardo gets two beers out of the fridge, and then he goes and gets his own beer, and it's just like these subtle little self-involved behaviours, or like lack of empathy, lack of thinking, oh, he would get me one. I like little things like that. And this is where you see him telling the lawyer he doesn't deserve his full attention. And while he is incredibly unlikable here, as he's just openly telling someone like, oh yeah, I'm not paying attention to you because I'm thinking about my company, even while I'm being sued for, I don't know what the sum total is. Eduardo is obviously suing him for 600. Eduardo's sum has never come out, I believe. Oh, okay. Well, they say in the movie 600, but... Oh, that's what he's that's what he's suing him for, but it's never come out what the settlement oh, okay, ends right. up being. So the the Winklevoss number is is public information about how much they got paid. Eduardo's number is okay. not public information, but obviously it's probably considerably but, yeah. more. But like he he has been come after for probably close to a billion dollars between these two lawsuits, and he is still doesn't give a shit. And like it, it, that's the thing. But in a roundabout way, he temporarily I think potentially helps his case by pointing out that like there is not one person in this room that could do what I could do and like, that's why I don't feel I stole the website. But like, we'll see what the ultimate outcome of all this is. Because I think they're kind of basically trying to convince you for two hours, or for an hour and 57 minutes or something like that, he might win this. That like he is going to argue through sheer brilliance that like, and this is why I'm going to win this unwinnable case. And they're like, nah dude, you're like the fucking worst. And all of these things you've done to try and prove why you are, you should win this case, or precisely why you will lose it if it 
goes to trial. So like it's that wonderful moment at the very end when Rashida Jones is just like, I'm going to ask you a question. And go like, why weren't you at the party that Sean Park was at? Yeah, and then doesn't matter now. They're thinking about it. Now they're thinking about <laughs> it, and then his immediate response is farm animals because obviously the first thing that anyone does in this is go. Well, the idea for it came from comparing far- women to farm animals, and immediately you've lost. There is no way you can reclaim for the idea for this website is from you wanting to get revenge on the girl by comparing her face to a pig. Exactly. We see them getting blowjobs in the toilets. Josh Pence is the one that they stop from going into the toilets because the ladies are in there. So yeah, the body double for the Winklevi that Army Hammer is not physically playing at that moment. And Brenda Song. Brenda Song is great in this. It's a small role and arguably a slightly problematic one, but she's really good in it. I think the movie is obviously doing a thing where it's like, oh, the stereotype of Jewish men and Asian women is... is Which they write into the movie, like, outright. Like, I'm writing an algorithm on the (laughs) the connection between these two and all of that. But yeah, she's so, so good. And, like, you know, even her, like, cracking onto them in the middle of this lecture from Bill Gates. She's so electric. And then, like, she will be the one that sticks around. Her friend will not because Mark doesn't have the social wherewithal to maintain that. And then he spots Erica in, in this restaurant and, like, or bar or whatever. And he goes over to her and he is expecting her to be like, oh, wow, the Facebook and everything. And she's just straight up like, no, I'm holding you accountable for the things you did and said. Like, go fuck yourself. You made fun of my name and my bra size. I'm with my friends here. I have no interest in talking to you. And she's, but, and the thing that wounds him the most, seemingly, is when she's like, good luck with your video game or whatever. <laughs> he feels if he makes this big enough and a big enough deal, she will be so blown away that she will come right back to him. It's like, you are missing so much of the point here. He will insist when he gives the big pitch about expanding on them putting a story in BU's paper about it. And he's like, oh, I'll give away 10 free hours of coding if they, if they do this or whatever. And it's just like, the bitterest man in the room, the bitterest man in the room. The thing that I kind of wish they didn't have to do, but I understand why they have, is mm. that Erica does end up with a Facebook account. It's but just I actually, thing, like... No, but I think that's actually like proving the point is everyone uses this oh no absolutely i think it does do that it's just i kind of in the back of my mind i'm just like i wish you didn't have to sign up for this website that was inspired by and obviously she doesn't know it's inspired by her but and she may not even well i mean i guess i feel everyone knows this dude's name it probably took her a few years to know it but like i kind of think that's the point is that like he thinks he's achieved his goal but like it doesn't matter because it was never about that like it was about you being a massive fucking dick This is where we meet Sean Parker. This is where also where cinema will meet Dakota Johnson, who has the tiny little booty shorts that say Stanford on the back. And Which isn't her name. No, it's not her name. She's a French major, and she says in French, you have just made love to a beautiful girl. Which, you know, cocky, but true. <laughs> Sean Parker, just immediately, just the worst. He just openly admits, oh, I don't go to college anywhere. And then it's like, how old are you? And then you remember, like, okay, he did found Napster when he was 19. So, like, he may be her exact age, so it may not be as inappropriate as it seems. But because you know Justin Timberlake, and you're like, is this, like, a 30-year-old dude who's cruising for college action? He is four years older than Zuckerberg. So yeah, maybe he is a little, I don't know. It's a little bit creepy. She's fine with it, kind of, because he is charming in his way, I guess. That's his whole deal. He is good at schmoozing people early on, and then you, you find the, the darker side. And like She goes to shower, he looks at her laptop, he sees Facebook for the first time. And I love that he's like so insistent that she come and tell him about it. But all she really tells him is what it's called, and everyone's obsessed with it. And it's like, everything else, you could have just gotten by looking at it. And like the name is on it, so it's just kind of like, you know, he in a similar way to Mark uses people like he's like oh there's a huge snake in here and then she comes running out and he 
could have just waited the 10 minutes or whatever, but it gets his attention and that is the big thing, like that changes everything. Kind of sucks that like for a long time Dakota Johnson was defined by this, you know, gratuitous butt action and she's the hot chick in the social network and everything. She obviously has a huge franchise to her name now for better or worse and, you know, she's made it as it were, but it kind of sucked that for a while this was what she was defined by. But she is really memorable for like, she for, is. Yeah. for whatever undefinable reason, this one scene in which she just has to be kind of charming and winning up against one of the biggest stars on the planet at the time. Yeah. I don't think she like completely overtakes it, but she is just... She is more than a match for him. This wasn't his first role. Like He did some really shitty movies early on, but I think this is where uh, it's like, he can act. You. What? Excuse you. He what? does some really good movies before this as well. Alpha Dog? No, Alpha Dog. He, he's in he's the Southland Tales before this. <laughs> He's fucking incredible in Southland Tales. Okay, but I'm just saying, like, there was a stigma following him around for a while while he was trying to act. That they're like, oh, it's the guy from NSYNC and, and, and whatever. But also, that's not even accurate. He was way bigger as himself than he ever yes, was in no, NSYNC. He, he's, he is the guy who's coming off of future sex love sounds yeah. and is doing a little bit of acting on the side where he will show up for like, kind of like a scene or two. But this is, I feel like, what changes what his idea is and he starts doing movies in which he's like the starring role after this because after yes. this you get Bad Teacher Friends of Benefits in time mm-hmm. none of which are great but they're all kind of going for we're going to use his charisma mm-hmm. more than this which is kind of mixing his charisma with some more specific ticks that yeah. I think make his performance so much more interesting than a lot of the other performances that he's been asked to give over the last 10 years or so and I think that's a big thing is that like a lot of the people in this have gone on to become big names but they're probably not very big names at the time this is made he is visibly famous and he is playing someone within the film who is supposed to be a big deal and I think that meta casting thing goes a long way it's like he is a celebrity that like transcends just the acting game as it were so I think to bring him in as Sean Parker and, and particularly the music aspect of it is, is interesting to to have that wrinkle in there but yeah, yeah I, I think that goes I a long way it is the interesting part where he's coming in on this as obviously he's coming in as star Justin Timberlake he's also coming in it's kind of like the two ways of crossing where his music career is kind of dying down at this point like he's not going to put an album out three years after this but also he's finding fame by being a performer with Saturday Night Live yeah, around yeah. the same time like he's hanging out with the Lonely Island guys and yeah. it's getting on anything like that people start to think they know who you are as a person and they like attach to you a bit more and they're like willing to go see whatever you're in kind of thing I think he's tremendous in this like the scene that they have together when they're looking for the the investors and mm. they organise the meeting with Sean Parker and yes. <laughs> it's Eisenberg Garfield and, and Song kind of sat there and obviously and just you get gawping so much, at him <laughs> just gawping at him you get so much out of the tension where Zuckerberg is so excited for him to be there. Yep. Severin wants to be nowhere else on Earth. And Brenda Song is just kind of in between the two of them going like, this could be fun. Like, yep. come on, cheer up, stop being so negative. Yep. And then Parker walks into the room. He's like talking to hostesses. He knows everyone in this restaurant. And then immediately comes in, orders food for them, gets... Four Christy's drinks order. based on her drink order, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he knows and what then, he's doing. And then it just turns into, you get the score, you get the dialogue, you get the, the Andrew Garfield narration over the top of it. And... and- 
and also that like basically it is testifying that Mark deliberately tanked all the other meetings they went to, including one with Aaron Sorkin, because he. I mean, the way you read it is he knew they were getting one with Sean Parker, or like he just was completely disinterested, and then once he doesn't care about the advertisers because he doesn't yes. want to put adverts on Facebook, he cares about this because this guy's not going to want to advertise anything. Yeah, and he and he admires him. He did what he did. He made a big thing that was controversial, but it like broke the internet kind of thing, and like that this guy is unapologetic about it and he sits there with his fucking revisionist history pitch on on everything and how like oh yeah what i did was amazing and like i changed the music industry forever and his conspiracy theories as well like they're gonna follow you around and this that and the other and like and like eduardo was cautious about how he like flamed out of these companies and he's like but the music industry won the lawsuit and he's like you want to buy a tower records and it's like that that really hits home because i have worked in a place that sells music and like yeah these these places were enormous and like, the, the thing is, I I feel like his comment of "I've changed the music industry" yeah. feels so flippant. Like, and it's it's kind of like emblematic of a lot of these things. Is mm. as both of us have worked close to the music industry, obviously not on the creative side, no. but the idea that he has changed the music industry for the better feels yeah kind of that's debatable. But he he has certainly changed it, and he did you know the independence. Well, I feel like the smaller ones close, but then the only thing that can survive are one or two companies and like some of the more independent ones. But like, the thing is, he's just consolidated a lot of this wealth. He's basically devalued what music means to us as a culture nowadays, yes. where music <laughs> is a £10 charge a month from Spotify, where you get unlimited music forever. Yeah. And the idea of buying a CD or buying an MP3 or whatever is completely the, va- the value of an individual song and an individual al- album is like next to nothing. The he, value he, these days is, here's everything at a touch of a button. Basically, Spotify and Apple Music and all that, they're just slightly more convenient than Napster and all the various Yeah, you don't have to sites. go in and download one particular song. That so might not be the one you think it is, but yeah, like... God, the amount of like <laughs> songs you would download or like you would type in a song title and it would be like the song title and woman in bathtub shows off her breast. It's like, <laughs> what the fuck am I looking at right or now? Or how many songs I walked around thinking, oh, this is by this person. And they're like, it's not called that and it's not by them. And it's like, oh, <laughs> shit, I didn't know that. <laughs> he destroys the industry and then 10, 20 years later, the music industry realises that they need to do something and basically they just get on top of it. So now there's Spotify and Apple Music. (laughs) Exactly. Like, they have taken what is supposed to be this rebellious spirit and made it into the commercial entity. And it's the exact same thing that's happened with Facebook Mm. in that people have realised that this is an economic force and so why don't they make it commercial? So now it's plagued with adverts and it's plagued with all these different political things that are kind of, like, fucking up the entire thing. And it's all these people who are like, I want to break something that doesn't need to be broken and not actually thinking through what their processes are. And he says a million dollars isn't cool. You know what's cool? A billion dollars. And Eduardo gets in the jab of what when he says what's cool, he's like, You? (laughs) He is so openly hostile towards them. And I love their dynamic throughout the movie, these two. We probably get the two best, or like the two most quoted lines from the movie in this scene right now. Yeah. I guess the other one is drop the the, just Facebook, it's cleaner. Like, yeah. you know, his biggest contribution to the company. But like, And it's just like, you get this idea that like, you know, maybe this dude, this dude is good at passing for rich, but I don't think he actually is all that wealthy and he's kind of just very good at schmoozing his way into rooms and like, hanging on to other people and everything. It's like, they get this impression he is just like, completely got his shit together. He's a mover, he's a shaker, he's so clever and everything. But it's like, you know, his entire character, it comes 
across that he's working a big con job on them and that like between scenes we see him he's actually a much like sadder guy or whatever. yeah he's he's basically like bed hopping between different girls exactly for yeah, a few, yeah. few, few days yeah, he's, he's got enough money to pay for these kind of dinners but the entire point behind these dinners is so he can get more money because he wants to get onto a company exactly and, like, you get the idea he, he has this big expensive dinner and then he goes home and eats ramen noodles for... I don't know how much money he sought from Facebook but I will mm. say I do think dropping the vert is worth 7% of the company <laughs> yeah probably so per Parker's suggestion Mark moves to California for the summer where Sean continues to influence him weasels his way into this big shared house so I'm genuinely intrigued whether or not it was a fortuitous meeting or if Sean Parker has somehow managed it's, to figure out no it's bullshit I, I read it as total bullshit oh Mark we live opposite and then he immediately puts qualifiers on it of like oh she lives opposite and then it's like oh yeah I don't give a shit about her <laughs> it's just sort of like I think he found out where they were and he just found a girl that lived nearby and, and like seduced her and all that sort of stuff see that's that's what makes it so much creepier is yeah. the idea that his way to go wasn't to go to his house was to seduce a girl mm-hmm. oh, okay. and use her as, a, as an easy in yeah I, I don't I don't buy that at all he, the second the chimney comes down and everything. we also get this thing about the, the animal cruelty charge against Eduardo where he was having to keep a chicken as like a as like a hazing thing for the Phoenix Club he fed it some chicken he didn't know you can't do that Garfield plays this hilariously where he just starts yelling about it and everything and it's really fun to see because in the present you see it brought up as this big serious thing and you see Zuckerberg like actually reaching to be like don't bring this up and then when you see it in the past he's like laughing about it and like fake roasting him about this he's like I can't have this and all that and then like the lawyer will confirm like oh he actually defended you we we went and researched this it wasn't him and all that well so like occasionally we'll try and throw you this bone of he didn't intentionally dick over his friend I'm actually intrigued that you read it as fake roasting I read it as very real he was disappointed he's got a smile on his face when he's he's like I can't have this Eduardo but the thing is I read that as (laughs) like he's pissed off at him. Well, it's not like he actually does anything about No, no, it. I don't think it is because he does anything, but I do think there is, like, he's got the upper hand now because of the whole he's credited as a co-founder of Facebook, and I think mm. he is legitimately annoyed, and the movie does. I'm sure he, I'm sure he's annoyed, but I think he he sees it as something that will just go away, and he doesn't actually... When he freezes the bank accounts, he sees that as a major fucking thing, and he emotionally reacts to that, but th- in this moment, he kind of... I just read it as he's just kind of, like, giving him a bit of shit, and he's like, it's not great that they call you a founder of Facebook, but whatever. Obviously, there's the distraction of the fact that like they're waiting for the 150,000th member. Yeah, and also, like, I guess he needs more money from him still, so I guess he doesn't want to do anything too big here, but he gets the money from him to rent a house in California. They have this big coding challenge. Welcome to Facebook. All jobs would be better if you had to drink a load of shots and... <laughs> Do, do do the job you were gonna do. Yeah, and he does make the little jibe about. I guess it's not the same as a chicken. Or I I don't know. And then he apologizes to him. He's like, I'm sorry, that was. And then he's like, Yeah, don't worry about it. Here's the money. Let's try and work on this friendship we have. You see in the deposition, Sorkin's favorite line in the movie, where he's like, Hang on, just checking your math on that. Yes, I got the same thing when they're adding up two basic numbers. <laughs> but yeah, we see them living in in LA, uh, not LA, in California. I oh, I will. Say, I do really like the hostility of Zuckerberg to. The the entire process of a deposition. He doesn't like that you can't just have assumptions. People he is smarter than trying to come at him. He's like, go away. I'm smarter than you. He's, he's smarter than them, but also like just the entire dialogue of a deposition is supposed mm. to be you ask a question very plainly yeah. and you get a very plain answer back. But that, but it's not how Zuckerberg thinks. It's like there's no room for assumptions. So when you do a maths problem, you have to explain this number plus this number equals this number. And Zuckerberg is like, why are we bothering to state this? Obviously, that number equals 
that number. Yeah, but it's because yeah. they're recording this. They're going to use this in in like legal terms, yeah. and so you have to explain every single thing you're doing. There has to be a very clear yeah. path and reason for why everything is being said and done. Yeah, we see them hanging out in the dumb rented house, breaking the chimney, doing zip lining off it, smashing a table. Sean, yeah, rocks up and is like, "Oh yeah, we do, we live across the street." I love the physical comedy of Mark tossing this girl a beer, <laughs> two beer bottles, and then she's like, "Oh sorry, I didn't know you were going to." And then he throws another one. She's like, "No wait!" And then yeah, it just happens again. And it's just like it's a perfect like offset with the beer thing earlier with Eduardo and like just summing up who he is. He doesn't apologize. And we're like, "Okay, do you want one?" He just immediately tosses another one. And like these mean nothing to me because I'm rich now, or well, not rich, but like you know, I think I'm like we are coasting along on the money that we've yeah, got from. We're doing from important our... stuff here and all of that. But when Sean learns Eduardo didn't come, just the smile on his face is like, "Right, I've got unfettered access to the one that I'm." I know I can manipulate. And yeah, like he takes him to this club and he does his little allegory about Victoria's Secret and all that. And it's like, it's such a like, oh, it's it's all just name droppy. Because the ultimate payoff is my date as a Victoria's Secret model, but he's doing it to point out, to drive home his philosophy of like, this dude sold when the company was only worth millions and now it's worth hundreds of millions. And the guy killed himself. And it's like, yeah, don't be like him. But the thing I always remember about this scene is like, as I said at the top, like we were working on this like 60 second version of the film and we we were writing it in a room in the building and you could hear this scene through the walls because it's so fucking loud and it's like oh yeah that scene's happening right now but yeah he also tells him that he founded Napster to get a girl so it's like yeah they relate on that level they're both petty little tech geniuses he is starting to admire this guy and he's like yeah exactly you think exactly like I think and everything like that but then he asks him do you ever think about the girl he's like no and it's like okay so there's the slight difference um, yeah like Sean Parker was elevated to there are many girls who I can sleep with exactly. and you can see that from his womanizing style whereas Zuckerberg is hung up on this this is all for one girl <laughs> yeah. yeah we also at this point get the big rowing scene at Henley and we've seen them like they went to the president of Harvard who basically laughed them out of the room I do like the idea that he's like I think you're getting a bit carried away that this idea is worth millions I mean that's the thing it's like they have they make a point it's Larry Summers who they say was the ex-treasury secretary mm-hmm. during was. Clinton's term I believe and the fact that this guy is like hearing this and going like oh I don't understand yeah. what this means how out of touch these future generations worth of politicians and mm-hmm. money people are in terms of what this all means for the world yeah. and how it takes 10 years for people to figure out what it is and by that point it's been subverted by very particular people but well, we saw them there we see them here rubbing shoulders with like literal royalty and like doing the big rowing scene which I adore this movie if I absolutely had to lose something I would trim this rowing scene which just, it, it kind of just feels like Fincher just flexing. Look yeah, how I mean, visually and audibly interesting I can make this. Yeah, it's Reznor and Ross doing like in the court of the Mountain King. Yes, doing like a remix of that with these miniatures because they didn't shoot in Henley, I believe they they, did not. they shot it all in America. So they're having to like build a fucking miniature set for this river in England, and it looks great. And it's it definitely does. one of the things that like you sticks in your mind when you leave the movie. But all it really does is it's just a, an extended kind of like one minute, two minute scene designed to give you the metaphor for what's happening, which is they're just losing. Like, they're they, just they, losing. They're, they're almost there, but they keep taking these. Little Little losses, yeah, and like them trying to graciously accept defeat while everyone's like, "Oh, what a close race!" and they're like, "Fuck off!" <laughs> like, yeah. And then they finally decide to sue him when it goes international. The person who is hosting them over the summer, going like, "Oh yes, my <laughs> daughter just told me about this thing that she saw the race on. It's called 
Facebook. Do you have that in America? <laughs> the dad's just kind of going like, God, I'm going to go. Because dad's obviously involved in it peripherally because he's given them house counsel and mm-hmm. and access to some of these like conversations with the dean. And Parker said to him, like, I'll put you on two continents. Because one of the Winklevoss, I forget which one is the nice one and which one's the dickish one, but one of them said, it keeps being like, we're men of Harvard. We, we don't sue each other. We don't do this. We don't do that. And then the other one finally gets through to him by saying, like, I object to showing up for our race on Monday that was run on Sunday. And that's finally what gets through to him. He's like, screw it, let's let, let's gut the fucker, basically. Well, that's the thing. So this, this is the thing, which is, I think the most universally derided line from this movie is in this scene. Let's gut the friggin' nerd. Like, entire <laughs> think pieces have been written about it. And obviously the reason why he can't say fuck is because yes. this movie is aiming for PG-13, 12A rating, however you want to call it. Yeah. And the one fuck they're allowed in the movie is when Eduardo encounters... Zuckerberg in Facebook at the end of the movie you and your fuck you flip flops and everything like that yeah, which yeah, I think yeah. it's so much better deployed in that scene than it would be here yeah. and I kind of just have to go along with it but it is one of those things where it's like surely you shot the scene with an actual fuck here yeah like and, my, I think my line reading is what it would have been let's gut the yeah, fuck <laughs> all you have to do is you just change it when you release it on DVD yeah, in exactly. cinema you keep it to gut the friggin nerd to keep the rating that you want yeah, yeah, yeah. but then you just restore uh, it was originally intended to be an R rated movie with a much more liberal cursing you probably see a bit more in terms of naked ladies at parties but I think it completely works as it is it's just little moments like that you can imagine how Sorkin originally wrote that so this is kind of the end of the Winklevosses in the movie apart from in the depositions yeah, like yeah. we've decided to sue and now the rest of the movie is kind of just the story of yeah. Saverin being fucked over and kind of forced out the company because... yeah. so so Mark secures a $500,000 investment with Sean Parker's help they get an angel investment which requires Eduardo to sign paper that are later used against him to remove him from the company by dilute well effectively uh, like, basically he signs papers that he doesn't read into the fine print he signs a thing where yeah. they give him more shares so that they could dilute it later and obviously use the fact that he's open to dilution of his shares we love working with business managers like this guy gets it and all of that and then that and I'm surprised that him saying I admit it was stupid to not read the fine print I'm surprised that doesn't just end his case immediately but the end result is his 34% share is diluted to 0. 0.03 and none of the own uh, the others get theirs diluted so he's effectively just ousted from this company but how do we get there? Mark fails to pick Eduardo up from the airport when he comes out to visit. Eduardo walks into them just it's just a fucking nightmare place where there are girls who we don't know how yeah, old like they there, are. There <laughs> are four guys who are like plugged into the computers and are sensibly working but then you've got as you say the girls who we don't know how old they are taking bong hits every two seconds playing on a Playstation or an Xbox <laughs> I'm not sure what they're playing Parker's like walking around doing another one of his big fucking speeches about the people he wants to get revenge against and everything and yeah like Eduardo walks into this like sopping wet he's spent all day every day trying to get them ad sales and everything and like and I think that's that's the important thing is the entire conversation we've had up to this point is Sean trying to get Zuckerberg to be anti-Saverin basically going like he's in New York he's not doing anything for the company he's on his internship why is he thinking the internship is more important than the billion dollar company in in LA and it turns out that Saverin quit the internship day one and has been working for the company the entire time trying to get yeah exactly this idea that he he's not just the financial backer who has no interest he was busting his ass to like try 
try and help them out and Parker does kind of drag him about like the kind of sales he's getting that's the thing is I think it is at this point in time no one knows the only people who understand what Facebook could mean are VCs and angel investors are the only people who understand what Facebook could mean yes you're not going to walk around New York especially someone who is not yet a Harvard graduate get the interviews with the kind of companies that would understand what's going on here and so it is that interesting thing where Severin is uniquely unqualified to be finding the right people to to advertise with yeah particularly because he's on the wrong coast he's not with all the tech firms that would understand what's yeah, yeah, the yeah. strength of this is and he's kind of doing that thing that a lot of people do which is let's go to the old school yeah. advertising let's walk around Madison Avenue let's go see all the madmen let's yeah, yeah. the equivalent of I'm gonna walk to shop to shop and hand my CV in basically exactly exactly yeah. like the, the culture has changed this is not how it works yeah. anymore you can understand why like this wasn't actually helpful but then the human element of he put all this work in and they fucked him like that's where the story is here and like him saying I don't care if it's an actual angel why is he Sean Parker setting up meetings when I am the the, fi- the business end of this company he says how like Christy scares him and everything and you do see this like you know because he'll fly back and she'll burn the scarf he got her and everything and the founder of Facebook doesn't know how to change his relationship status on Facebook and he is so funny here and she is so great as well like they I want to see a spin-off with just these two <laughs> obviously this is where you get to see Sorkin's worst traits where it's like oh mm. she's insane she's blah 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 and it's like oh uh-huh. so the the woman with the most lines of dialogue in this movie is going to be crazy controlling and all the rest of it and it's like it's funny it becomes worse in context of the entirety of Sorkin's yeah, career yeah, yeah. But, like particularly when I'm not going to say this is like a proto-feminist movie but there is a very strong when you have a character as strong as Erica as like the other strong female presence in the movie it does kind of feel weird to have this scene in here no matter how good it is in a vacuum it's like when this is about as good not as good as it gets but like one of the better treatments of women he's done it's like that's not a good sign this then leads to he freezes the account to like get their attention and he apologizes for it and i he was perfectly in his rights to do this like they're being dicks it's his money fuck you they're obviously not they're obviously not spending the money in in like responsible ways considering presumably what he saw from his very brief sojourn to to that house yeah exactly and like you know i again like we're talking about characters here not because we don't know how much of this is is fact and fiction i think a lot of the like sex drugs rock and roll side is complete fiction a website has apparently said that the film is 76.1% accurate i don't know how accurate that claim is because (laughs) isn't there the popular claim that like 99% of all all people believe you when you put statistics into things exactly yeah i just love how specific it is yeah exactly it's the point one that makes it sound more accurate (laughs) but yeah within this thing he is within his rights to do this and yet he still apologizes and is like yeah i'm sorry i did this because the character we are seeing is more emotionally mature and like he is the one that feels like guilty about face mash at the beginning and stuff and like maybe we should take this down and everything um but yeah mark freaks the fuck out but then they get this angel investment he comes back and he has to sign his papers and parker is going to get seven percent which he begrudgingly is like that's fine or i think it's like six point at something at this point and at the end they're like he like, still yeah, has like, seven like dustin and and sean parker both get like a rounded down slightly seven percent yeah peter teal gets seven percent and it's come out of 
Mark's side of it. Eduardo's has gone up and they pitch it to him as because we may need to dilute it later. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And he says how like, I thought they were my lawyers, quite frankly. And it's like, you can kind of see why he might think that because these are the lawyers recommending, representing your company that as far as you're concerned, you are fully a huge stakeholder in but then yeah, like, yeah you have... get you get the inkling that something is not right because in the meeting with peter Thiel, the final line of that scene is we need to talk about eduardo Saverin. like who is this guy what is he to the company and also they're clearly shady because like, oh we'll set you up <laughs> as a whatever in delaware it's like okay great <laughs> we've got all the tax incentives and you also see um sean ropes marking on his big revenge stunt because he gets him to show up in his pajamas to case equity and tell them fuck you or, like sean parker says fuck you but then that ends up working out for them because it impresses the guy and he invests and they they become the Facebook we know kind of thing and Eduardo comes out to there's a there's a party for the millionth member and all that and and there's huge offices now and he comes in and he's all happy and we don't actually see I love that we don't see it we don't hear it he goes into a glass office with one of these lawyer men and then he comes out looking really fucking pissed off and this is my favorite this is if the first scene of the movie isn't the best scene of the movie it's yeah. definitely the this one I think, did, I think I like respect the first one on a technical level more but this is the one that emotionally like this is my favorite one and like yeah. Garfield makes himself for life in my opinion in the in this scene where he, just, he smashes the laptop and like his big rant of like sorry my Pradas and the dry cleaners and my my fuck you flip-flops and hoodie and all of that and just yeah just laying in on them both and then yeah my favorite quote is you better lawyer up asshole because I'm not coming back for 30 percent I'm coming back for everything this very nice guy who has taken a a lot of shit from them and like Mark not asking his permission to do things with his money a lot and you see it throughout the movie like oh I already did it finally like right fuck you I am taking you apart and like obviously and like he's been taken off the masthead as well that like huge callback of like he knew what it meant to him and he did it anyway kind of thing have you seen the the thing that went viral of Sarah Ramos and Dylan O'Brien recreating this scene during quarantine no oh it's great I'll, I'll send you a link we'll afterwards uh, after, but yeah. it's just like this is so much oh great. actually sorry yeah I, I I totally have that that's come screaming back into my memory yeah i totally have yeah it's so good <laughs> this is everyone is working at the peak of their yeah. strength in this move a moment it's kind of the only scene in the movie where the three of them are interacting together in like a combative way yeah there are a few scenes where it's like one-on-one one-on-one and like at the dinner mark is largely just quiet and everything oh he's kind of quiet here like he is visibly upset by all of it that's my biggest thing is this is such a powerful performance it visibly changes the energy in the room yeah because parker tries tries to get in his his pot shots and he's like being the biggest asshole like answering back and everything and then walks over and like hands him a card and everything but then he flinches when he goes for him and he's like i like standing next to you you make me look so tough that that reveals who sean really is and we'll see that punctuated in a second but like yeah he he is this cocky prick but then the notion someone might actually try and punch him and he's like it's not just he flinches and then tries to laugh it off he like remains looking a little bit scared and everything yeah i um, think it's a real shame in that like eisenberg is the only act who gets a nomination because I'm not saying that like, I nominate all three of Hammer, Garfield and Timberlake for this movie but mm. I would come damn close to wanting to put all three of them in a bracket like and I think Garfield for sure Garfield for sure is in there so who's up this year so Christian Bale was up for The Fighter John Hawks was up for Winter's Bone Jeremy Renner for The Town Mark Ruffalo for The Kids Are Alright and Jeffrey Rush for The King's Speech I could drop a lot of those I Renner mean, from I, The I'm Town like, <laughs> like it's a good like, performance I, but let's not go crazy <laughs> yeah I mean Mark Ruffalo could probably go Christian Bale I don't love the fighter. I know a lot of people do love the fighter, but it just seems to me like one of those things where actor does a big.
big physical change kind of awards <laughs> as opposed to the fox catcher effect yeah um, <laughs> but yeah garfield is so good in this scene yeah, tim yeah. blake is absolutely tremendous yeah. in just he's been confident and big and boisterous and then to see him just broken down to size in yeah. just one and like, thrown punch yeah and then to see him celebrating it at house party and like it's all very successful and then you see what is presumably his house and it isn't that nice and it's just like a very small gathering because no one actually fucking likes him but like these underage girls and like doing the cocaine and like the police raid the place that he calls mark up and is like pitching him this conspiracy theory that like someone put the cocaine there you believe me right and he looks so pathetic throughout all of this and like the intern that he's like very clear like i'm gonna sleep with her basically reveal she's under 21 because they're all like how old are you 21 21 21 21 it's like okay if you said like 21 23 22 21 maybe but you've just made it sound unbelievable and like she's like i shouldn't have lied and it's like okay this dude is a bad fucking dude and then mark is sitting there with his he's also got his dumb i'm ceo bitch cards uh, i think that was already but what i love about this kind of like final moment of parker is obviously he's coked up mm-hmm. and his obsessive compulsive tendencies and his conspiracy theory kind of brain is working overtime and he's <laughs> how just, do i spin like, this <laughs> yeah he's so much less composed in this entire scene presumably because he is on drugs than he is in any other scene in the movie mm. and it's here that you see everything else he's kind of been through rose-tinted glasses and then here it's like no this guy is shit and has problems and vices that are going to lead to his downfall and yeah. you also see that that's when mark sees it as well it's like yeah. we as the audience finally get to see like he's been charismatic and great Obviously, we're kind of more in tune with Savarin in that final scene, so it's good to see him punch down to size, but he still has been that kind of charismatic force. He now is finally seeing what Eduardo has seen all along, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, and he's uh, like, he's like really let him down, kind of thing. And then this final scene, directed by Aaron Sorkin, because. I don't know if it's, like, the entire scene or just the final moment, but allegedly Fincher was like, okay, I'm done, and Sorkin got to call the final cut on the movie because he directed it, but some aspect of this was directed by Sorkin. But, yeah, like, Rashida Jones, who, you know, it's a tiny role, but, you know, it's great to see her in this, and, like, you know, she's been sort of, like, the nice lawyer throughout all of this. She's, like, a junior lawyer. She's, she's being brought in because she's... It's, like, experience she's for been, her. Yeah, she's been yeah. groomed to be a partner, presumably, at some point, yeah, yeah. and her speciality is putting together stories and she's like yeah i could get them to believe that this that and the other yeah and just like he is sat there believing if i just argue hard enough all this will go away and i'm so rich and powerful i will win and like it's an affront that they are even bringing these lawsuits against me i will win and then she's like oh no we're definitely settling like there is no way you're gonna get past a jury and him having to accept you're a dick you can afford it just pay them this will go away this is a speeding ticket which yeah, i think is so dramatic of so many things that these companies do exactly like no matter what like they will just persist and then you can break this law because what they'll come at you with is 0.001% of your worth and 0.1% of the profits you're going to get from breaking this law yeah. so what do you what do you care and then this Beatles song maybe you're a rich man playing over the ending as he just is, sits does the internet have like how much it cost them to, to get this song <laughs> in the movie probably a lot I mean yeah. that's the thing is what so the, the budget of the movie he said was 40 million I have to imagine a million dollars that has to be just for this fucking song easily he wanted to use a lot more songs than he used but they ended up going with the score because it's so good I think this works like baby you're a rich man while he sits there by himself the last one 
the room. He's like, "Would any, do you mind if I use the computer? And she's like, I can't imagine anyone would care. <laughs> like, And he's alone in this building, sitting there. He adds her, and he's just sitting there hitting refresh, and he just looks so sad and pathetic while we have this crawl about, you know, Savarin got this much, and his name is... Uh, oh, Savarin got the settlement, and like his name is back on the masthead. The Winklevoss has got this much. Facebook is now this big, and like those numbers are laughably outdated of how much it's worth, how many countries it's in, and all of that. And that he's the youngest billionaire, all that. And it's like, they're almost ancillary. Like, they're, they're, they're secondary to, like, him sitting there refreshing on Erica. And, like, on some level, maybe it's a bit shitty to suggest that this dude is that pathetic in real life. But then also, the things we actually know about that dude, I don't have a lot of sympathy for. So, whatever. It satisfies the narrative that they've been telling throughout. And, yeah, just from that first scene to that last scene, it perfectly works. And everything that happens along the way just feeds this final scene. And it's just chef kiss. Just amazing. Yeah, it's it's an incredible movie. I think this might be the best movie that's been covered by this website, period. Um, it is definitely one of my absolute favourite films of all time. It is probably, like, big brain critic, objectively almost flawless. I think I would give it a higher... If I was trying to, like, be an objective critic, I would probably score this higher than a lot of my favourite films of all time. But, like, I have a bigger emotional connection to some other movies. But Yeah, yeah that's like, completely fine. It was just that, the, an interesting moment where I was going through a lot of kind of like year-end, decade-end stuff at the beginning of this year, and this was my favourite movie of 2010, it'd always been, and as we got closer and closer to the end of the decade, I was like, oh no, this is my favourite movie of the decade. And then to hear the amount of critics who I listen to, I vibe with, also going like, yeah, social network, yeah, social network, yeah, social network. It's, yeah. It was insane to watch kind of like the dominoes, and obviously like, there are all kinds of movies you can pick, like, like fucking Moonlight's incredible. There are a lot of very obvious picks, but it felt like social network had kind of like, it, it's not influence, because I don't think there's many movies that feel influenced by this but it's prescience has only aged well with kind of like the way that it's told the story about this man and i feel like all of the ticks and thing and flaws that are shown in this movie have only become more apparent in zuckerberg as he has become more and more of a like visual presence where we're watching him take fucking depositions in front of senate hearings and stuff like that yeah and um, I, I do want to ask one question what do we think about the kind of final spoken spoken line of the movie do not even remember what it was? That <laughs> uh, like you're not an arsehole, Mark. You're just trying. Oh, to you're be. just trying to be. As told in the film, I think he has a lot of arseholeish behavior. That is just his bitterness towards Eduardo getting in. His sort of self-involved behavior and not asking his friends for stuff. I don't think he's like a monster. He has idolized people that are monsters. So I think he's like a bit of an asshole who is aspiring to be a bigger asshole would be my take. <laughs> yeah, and obviously his worst behaviours become more and more apparent as he's like, oh yeah, we're Facebook, we don't need to fact check anything on our on our website. Yes. <laughs> a fucking incredible movie. I'm sad it didn't win Best Picture, but I feel like it has yeah. just gained traction over the years. I'm so happy that the score won at the Oscars. I think I would have lost my mind if they gave it to like King's Speech. There's <laughs> the only other score that kind of deserved from this year is the Inception score, which I feel is like... Yeah. Other, memeable. other like indelible <laughs> score from this year. Yes. I don't have anything bad to say about it, really, other than no, like all, the, the slight the... lack of female energy and yeah, like... Yeah, that's the thing, is that all of my complaints are things like, oh, you probably should have cast different people for certain roles. Oh, I wish we could have had more women in this, mm. even if there is a strong enough kind of like, oh, no, they're dicks. Like, yeah. they don't like women, so they're dick dicks line in the movie. But yeah. it, this movie does not pass the Bechdel test. No, I guess the thing is more like, the things that are wrong with it are what is not in it. What there is an absence of, but what is there is as close to perfect as I think a film can get would be yes. my thing. So... 
Good luck, Black Swan. You're next week. I think Black Swan is like my number three movie for 2010. We have this like train of movies now where, yeah, like my, my one, two, three movies are being covered for this year. I love all of them for different reasons. They're all very different movies. 2010 was a good year. It was. And uh, we will round it out with Black Swan next week. As I said, this is a long one no matter how much editing I do to it. So I think we're going to keep this brief and just say, yeah, we'll see you next week with Black Swan. Ben, will there be movies? There will be movies in which Academy Award winning actress Natalie Portman masturbates in a bed. Cool. I'll see you there. I, I look forward to talking about that scene with you in depth. Bye, everyone. Oh, God, no, please. <laughs>